0: Welcome to In20XX. This series takes the listener, year by year, into the future. Ride the wave of change. If you like emerging tech, ecotech, futurism, skepticism, apocalyptic survival scenarios, and disruptive science, sit back and enjoy short stories that showcase my research into how the future may play out. You say, assistant, give me the latest tech news. Assistant says, sure. For July, 2052, 10,000 weather blimp drones were launched by NOA. Each blimp drone is the size of a coffee table and shaped like a flattened sphere. Powered by solar skin, they can stay functional in the skies for a year or more. They travel nearly as fast as copter drones and can fly near people without being heard. NOAA isn't the only group launching blimp drones. Giant S uses them to deliver. These aren't the huge blimps people are accustomed to seeing. Blimp drones range in size. Most are as big as a bus, but some can fit in a shoebox. Helium, mined on the moon, keeps them afloat for long durations. Many say they look like flying saucers. Usable fusion power has been achieved. A fusion power plant continually produces 100 megawatts. Parts for this reactor were grown in the zero gravity of space by programmed microbes. Its interior shell is one piece and is the smoothest surface ever made. Developers planned on assembling the reactor at the Georgia Institute of Technology, but built it at the Technical University of Munich in Germany instead. The power will be used in homes while the reactor remains in a testing and research phase. Deep mines are opening all over the nation, using the latest in material science, Mine rigs can dig deeper, extracting minerals from 2 to 8 kilometers below the surface. Robots do all the mining. Hume workers above ground remote operate robots when needed. But they aren't allowed below a certain depth where temperatures exceed safe levels. The mines yield a bounty of materials, driving low prices even lower. World markets suffer as countries who supplied the U.S. with materials for years can't afford to sell at lower prices. Do you like food containers that tell you how fresh your food is, but you don't want to pay the extra cost? A new packaging system uses microbes instead of solid-state chemical sensors. Inside each container, a tiny tube containing probiotics extends into the food. The microbes in the tube carry a charge and only eat other microbes. When they multiply, so does the charge that controls the freshness meter displayed on the outside of the package. For those squeamish about consuming microbes, remember that you consume microbes with every breath. A femme in Cedarville, Ohio was killed by her chimera cat. The cat had 0.3% tiger DNA. It was the normal size of a cat and it had tiger striped fur. The femme's husband said the cat attacked when his wife petted it on the back as it rested on her lap. He said, she always pet its back. I told her cats only like to be pet on the head Animal rights groups are protesting the decision to terminate the cat's life. Those are the top stories. In 2042 in high school, Nabo and Lindsay were known as the no drama couple. They graduated during the media attack, a time when half of their classmates died or disappeared. People in the small Arizona town panicked, but Nabo remained calm. Lindsay loved Nabo. She used to say, There's my boyfriend, tall, dark, and handsome. He wore collar shirts buttoned to the top and tucked in, and he wore loafers. He always kept a nice haircut. His dad said, Whatever you do, son, have a nice haircut. The world judges you by your haircut. Nabo wasn't a tough guy, but he was perfectly straight acting. He always had a nice posture. His dad said, Keep a church pew posture, son, even though they use theater seats at the New Life Church. He never showed signs of being an addict, not at all. He liked sports, but he wasn't a fanatic. Sometimes he and his friends played cards, but for him, it was about hanging out and having a few laughs. He didn't drink, nor did he not drink. Nine years later, Nabo sleeps with his glasses on. Each morning, when his link alarm goes off, his glasses light up, and he wakes into VR. He opens his eyes to his home space, a peaceful prairie landscape. The grass bends as waves of wind pass over it. Birds fly circles around each other. The morning sun appears bright, even though he could stare at it all day without hurting his eyes. Nabo clears his throat, sits up, and says, start robot vandalizer. Assistant says, logging in now. The scene changes to a robot dispensary center, It's a large room where robots leave to do their work in the simulated town or city. When each bot comes back, arms on conveyors lift them, send them through the bot wash, and hang them beside other bots until they're needed again. Assistant says, You were a vandal yesterday. Would you like to be a robot today? Nabo says, Yes. He snorts and twists his neck to loosen it. His POV changes, and he's inside a hanging robot as a belt arm carries him down the conveyor to the floor and drops him there. The game has put him in a sentry model. Its top-heavy trunk gives him greater speed, but less agility than other models. He double blinks to release control of the bot and says, pause. The sounds of belts and bots stop. In RL, he grabs a pill bottle beside him and pops a tooth tablet. As he chews, the probiotics clean and repair his teeth. He says, start In the game, red arrows on the ground lead from his feet to the door. He double blinks and moves his toes to walk. Accustomed to controlling VR with micro movements, he feels like he's inside the avatar and forgets about his RL body. As the robot, he walks out of the distribution center and onto a city street. He walks down the sidewalk, avoiding people and following the arrows. The better he plays, the more money he can make. As a robot, he needs to avoid getting vandalized. The arrows take him to a protest where he stands with other bots around a limo protecting it from the crowd. Hume's swing sticks, he holds his arms in front and swivels back and forth blocking blows. If he ever counter-attacks a Hume, the game suspends him for a day. After the limo pulls out onto the road and drives off, the protesters spread out and disperse. Nabo notices funny movement behind him and turns to realize a Hume is spray painting his backside. He turns around to face the perp. A second Hume runs to Nabo's backside. Nabo jogs over to the side of the building. He says, Mark perp, mark perp, and air draws squares around the two vandals. The squares continue to visually box off the Humes, even as they cross the street. Nabo says, Report, I've been tagged. Assistant says, report filed. For two hours, he walks around in the game, fulfilling pseudo-tasks, avoiding vandals, defending himself, and filing reports. He needs to watch out for traps. Once he walked by a parked van when the side door opened and Humes jumped out. They threw a tarp over him and tied him up. Another time, he walked toward a porch and fell into a narrow but very deep hole, the hole was covered with sticks and leaves before he fell in. Now he watches the ground and tags suspicious spots as potential traps. Playing as a vandal is more fun. He starts out in a garage or apartment and can choose tools to take with him. Tasers made to short circuit robots, axes and glue shooters are just some of the tools. Millions play this game to make money. The game isn't designed to be fun. It's designed to collect data. Still, There was a time when Nabo would have played the game for more than two hours each day and made more money. There was a time when he would have enjoyed playing Robot Vandalizer. Now he can hardly wait for the two hours to be up. As soon as his timer goes off, he says, Sign out. Assistant says, Okay. He's returned to the peaceful prairie, and he says, Start Gin's request. The title, Gwyn's request, appears, taking up most of the sky the scene changes and his POV enters his avatar, a ranger wandering a dirt highway with 40 or more people on their way to Fog Valley. He breathes a deep sigh and aches fade as muscles relax all over his RL body. In game, he walks alongside Blue Egg and picks up their conversation where they left off yesterday. He says, I'm not scared of the dark. His feeling of missing her vanishes. She walks, veering slightly left, then right. She looks up at him with a playful jeer and says, I've snuck out at night enough to know you never leave that little tent of yours at night. When Nabo first tried Gwyn's request, he didn't care for it. But the sides of the trap were already around him. Goggle and Giantess, among others, had been recording him for years. AIs observe his online activity and determine his preferences in detail. His glasses record his eyes when they dart with interest, slacken with disinterest, widen with fear, squint with laughter, and moisten with sorrow. AIs know what thrills him, disgusts him, fires him up, and satisfies him. They know what timing of events most engages him. The AIs create profiles not just of who Nabo is attracted to, but the details of what he's attracted to. All this knowledge about Nabo is used to custom-create Gwyn's request to Nabo's liking. The game doesn't go for momentary reactions. It builds deeper feelings over time. It makes him so sympathetic for the NPCs that he'd lay down his life for them. The villains in the game infuriate him more than he's ever been enraged. And when he defeats one, the resulting euphoria lasts for days. The hidden treasures he discovers delight him in particular. Crushes for game characters obliterate all RL infatuations he ever felt. He wasn't much of a gamer before. The second time he played, he got a feeling that would slowly grow. Every time he plays, it grows. And as it grows, the thrilling parts of the game thrill him more. Sad events leave him heartbroken. The NPCs feel like family, like childhood friends, like his tribe. The game becomes more compelling, more real. When his parents moved to a church settlement in Georgia, he didn't find out about it for several weeks. He didn't realize Lindsay left him for an entire week. He's gone broke playing the game. Last year he got dehydrated and could have died because he wanted to play the game for just a few more minutes. Making himself work two hours before playing the game tests his willpower to the limit. Quitting the game each night when his alarm goes off challenges him to his core, but lately it's gotten easier. At night he feels his exhaustion and almost looks forward to sleeping. The power Gin's request has over him seems to be easing up. He's still captivated, but the game feels blander than it did a few weeks ago. The reason is when he plays the game all the time, he isn't surfing the net, and AIs can't record new data on how to captivate him. So the game is repeating itself more often. The latest villain seems a lot like the last one. If he did a bunch of other things online, AI could collect fresh data about him and use it to generate new content in the game. He'd gone days mostly unaware of his RL body, but today his sore back bothers him. Maybe he needs just a little break from the game to stretch his legs. Blue Egg glances at him as he double blinks. The menu pops up and he air taps, quit. Did Blue Egg frown just before the game closed? He's back in the home space prairie. He says, quit VR. As sound cancelling fades, a commotion from outside reaches his eardrums. His glasses clear. His eyes widen, his mouth opens, and he sneers. What's that shouting? Sitting on a puffer blanket on the floor of what used to be a bakery decades ago, He watches shadows pass the papered glass of the storefront windows. Voices chant, Turn Arizona blue, turn Arizona blue. A dog barks. Cobwebs hang off soot covered glass shelves. Cracks reach across dingy bare walls. People like to AR decorate where they squat, but he's never bothered. Beans of sunlight through suspended particles glint and shine. The edges of yellowed floor tiles curl. The only object left from the days when this building opened for business is a swivel stool that he uses to prop the door open to air the place out at night. Outside, several femmes burst out laughing at once. What the Colonel Sanders is going on out there? People don't come down this street anymore. They just don't. Moving stiffly, he stands and steps off the blanket with bare feet. He takes his glasses off, strips, grabs a bathe pack, opens it, and runs the foamy sponge over his body. The foam fizzles and evaporates as quickly as gasoline, leaving his skin clean. He tosses the sponge to the corner where it shrinks from bright blue to a green-brown lump. He pulls a single-use shirt off a roll and puts it on, the same for underwear. Then he shakes off his favorite jeans and steps into them. The foam has evaporated out of his hair, so he runs his fingers through the strands. This squat doesn't have a mirror. He puts his glasses on, exhales gruffly, and opens the squeaky door to Old Main Street. With astonishment, he looks at all the people marching in the same direction. Young and old hold signs, chant, and sing. Their signs say things like, SCOTUS serves a cult. People carry babies or walk behind self driving baby carriages. Half of them wear blue t shirts that say democracy. Even Luton bots walking beside their owners wear blue t shirts. Luton bots are as tall as the average height of a femme, they look cheaper than company owned robots. Their faces are stylized single shells that don't move, unlike pro-remote work bots with heads that can shape change. Personal Humanoid bots are not recent occurrences. They've been around since before Nabo's birth. But the Luton bot is the model T of personal Humanoid bots. They cost under 400 when just last year the Humanoid that sold the most cost 4000 Blimp drones hover above. Whose drones are they? Are they here for support or to intimidate? Old Main Street is usually a ghost street. A group of femmes nears Nabo. They smile and chant, Separation of church and state, By the people for the people. Nabo catches the eye of an innocent-looking femme and says, Where are you going? She says, To town hall, come along. Her iridescent bangs curl over her forehead. She carries a sombrella and her shoulders are bare. He follows beside her. He says, What's this about? She eyes him and says, have you been living in a cave? She flicks in the air. An icon appears to his upper left and he taps on it. In a clip, a reporter says, we've never seen anything like this. Longtime Republicans are switching blue. The camera turns to an out of breath femme who says, we will not stand for this. How's my daughter supposed to get a degree? My partner is trans and he's scared someone at his job will get him fired. The femme walking next to Nabo says, sucks, doesn't it? Nabo says, yeah, I quit going to church because of this. She says, we need to add seats to the Supreme Court and limit how long judges can serve. Are you with us? Nabo says, hell yeah. He joins the chant, turn Arizona blue, turn Arizona blue. For the rest of the day and into the evening, he takes part alongside the femme, who tells him her name is Amara. They walk door to door, signing people up to vote. In front of the town hall, they attend a barbecue and dance-off. Many faces are new to him, but he also recognizes many. Old Jake, who fired a shotgun at a truck delivering Sam's meat when cattle ranches were going tits up, is filling cups by a keg. Sheriff Daisy, who went to Washington over building a border wall, is down here wearing one of those blue shirts. Nabo never would have believed it if he weren't here seeing town folks go on about electing a liberal. King Lance... Who used to work construction and now data farms says, I'll vote Republican next time. President Smith ain't no Republican. She's a cultist. Femmes his age that he hasn't seen since high school hold newborns. No one invited him to weddings. Where are the dads? Amara runs up to a new mother and says, Can I see your baby? Oh, so adorable. Did he wake up in an alternate universe? What the hell? How can this seem like a good time to have a baby? Day passes into evening, passes into night, and the festivities thin out. Sweaty and hoarse, Nabo walks with Amara along overgrown railroad tracks. Amara's voice sounds soft. She isn't at all like Blue Egg. Not to forget that one is a game character and one is a flesh and blood femme. Amara says, It's just up there. He wants to shake the bad feeling that he's going to cheat on Blue Egg. You can't cheat on an NPC. At least realize that Blue Egg will never get her feelings hurt if he gets lucky with an RL femme. She may act hurt if he flirts with an NPC in the game. Blue Egg will never suspect. But he will know. For crying out loud, it's a stupid game. Who's to say he'll even get lucky tonight? Buses and RVs wait in an abandoned field near a cluster of trees. Lamplights glow in windows and campsites. Here and there, a person moves through the shadows. The quietest plucking on guitar strings reaches his ears. A light flashes over gravel and then shuts off. A hot wind sways treetops. She leads him between old buses. Rocks crunch under their feet. He smells cooked meat. He thinks, whatever happens, happens. A calm excitement warms his chest and groin. On steps into a bus, she abruptly stops so that he bumps into her and she laughs and says, Be quiet. I'm just a guest here. In the dark, her eyes look bigger behind the sheen of her glasses. As they walk between bunks closed off with blankets, he hears breathing and bodies shifting. He follows her down the narrow aisle. She ducks down and slips under a curtain and into a lower bunk. The next morning, he wakes alone in the bunk space. He puts his clothes on and wanders off the bus. Eyes half shut, he walks around. Last night, a lot more vehicles were here. He counts five buses, two RVs, and a couple of cars. Crows swoop down on an area where buckets and folding chairs make a circle. A femme empties a compost brick from a portable toilet the size of a suitcase. Two dudes kick a wassail stick to each other. Nabo turns when a hairless man wearing a dress and carrying a large tray hurries toward the bus and almost collides with Nabo. Nabo says, "'Excuse me, I'm looking for her. He hesitates. "'Oh shit, he can't remember her name. "'How cliche.' The man looks him over and says, you were on my bus? Nabo nods. The man points at the sign along the top of the bus that reads Mobile Hostel. He says, I don't know where your friend is, but look around. He walks past Nabo and climbs onto the bus. Nabo wanders around. A family packs camping equipment into their car and drives off. A bus pulls out, making a wide turn. The town is in the distance. It will take hours to walk to it. He approaches a femme as she fills a mug with water from an atmospheric water generator, which is made up of a broad panel supported by stubby legs. He says, Excuse me, do you know where the the get-out-the-vote crowd has gone? She stands and says, I think Rio Rico. You can ask assistant. He says, Are you driving into town by any chance? She shakes her head. He says, Thanks. Turns toward town and starts walking. Stepping on dry grass and hard dirt, he feels grumpy. He should have taken birth control. But why is that? It isn't like she took something from him. If it didn't go inside her, it would have ended up on the ground. It's a hassle to get on birth control and it only lasts two months or something like that. He should have taken a picture of her. She snapped some pics of him with her glasses. At the time, it touched him. Femmes are usually a lot less eager to take pictures of guys than guys are eager to take pictures of femmes. Why'd she want to take his picture? At that last moment, before he released his seed, she locked him to her with her legs. Did she not do that for pleasure after all? Well, she has his picture so she could always contact him. Don't wait for that to happen. What's he doing out here? He needs to get back in game. Screw RL. The sunlight grows stronger with each minute. A blimp drone flies past silently. A bird flies up to it, lands on its top, and perches there. The rumble of giant construction bots outside scares Wilma's 25 cats. Most of them hide, but the ones she can see slink through the kitchen and shelter under the table and chairs. Their wide eyes dart, and their hair stands out. An older cat's tail twitches and its ears swivel back. A gray cat leaps down from the fridge and shoots across the room. Now that troops are coming home from the war, a lot of the military will locate along the border. Bots resembling excavators and cranes build the new military complex down the road. When finished, it'll house 1,500. Locals use noise cancellation on their canal links, but cats don't have canal links. Wilma enjoys a quiet house, except her cats act spooked day and night, and sometimes she sees a window or dishes shake with the noise from outside. The company that buys live data from her cats pays more because of their fear responses. The company pays her for data it uses. Cats who sleep all day don't generate much usable data. If she gets the cats to play, climb, and explore, her daily earnings go up. She'd never scare a cat on purpose. Are there feline data farmers out there who would? She sure hopes not. Two of her cats have trembled for days. Let's just hope they finish the construction soon. Simeon bought her a Lutenbot, probably to make her feel better. Lutenbots are the first humanoids that her assistant can control. Her assistant helps her day after day. How exciting that it will have a body to help her around the house. She and Simeon sit at the kitchen table, both viewing the same AR menu. Wilma leans forward, and her long, straight hair hangs down the center of her back. No matter how Simeon sits, his elbows and knees jut out. The Luton bot stands before them. Simeon scrolls through the skills. He says, Clean the counter. Clean the stove. Clean the refrigerator. Vacuum the floor. Mop the floor. I don't see anything about cats. His voice strains. She says, Assistant, use Luton to change the kitchen litter trays. She puts on an air of lightheartedness. This is all just for fun. Assistant says, I don't have a skill that matches that request. She says, I just love it if Luton could clean up after the cats and feed them and give them water. It's a full-time job. He says, New skills are added each day. I'm sure in a year the bot will be able to at least clean the litter trays. He looks disappointed. She says, Do you think Grace could teach it to take care of the cats? He says, Maybe. Assistant, load the dishwasher. The non-metallic bot comes to life, walks over to the counter, takes dishes from the sink, and loads them in the washer. She laughs and says, It still creeps me out how Hume it acts. He says, It's just playing back recordings of Hume's moving. She says, I want it to hang our laundry on a line to dry like it does in the commercial. He says, we can do that. I have some cord in the garage. He smiles and relaxes. She says, sun-dried clothes, it'll be so nice. He says, I'll help it map where we put our clothes so it can fold our laundry and put it all away. From the other room, Grace yells, there are a lot of buses coming down the road. To Simeon, Wilma says, my handyman. She smiles at him with one eye pinched closed. Grace runs into the kitchen, holding just the head of the automated doll her grandmother gave her last Christmas. She shuts her eyes tight and hollers, I counted 10 buses coming down the road and there's a man walking across the field that the army cleared. Simeon gets up, kneels beside her and says, I'm sure it's okay, my little math magician. With her eyes still closed, she says, don't you mean mathematician? He says, maybe. She grins ear to ear with her face angled up and her eyes shut. As Nabo walks, he logs into Sharedit shared it and air clicks, new post. A choppy legacy AI voice says, record a title now. Nabo says, did I just have my sperm stolen? The AI says, record your description now. He says, I'm male, 20, I had intercourse with a femme last night and she ghosted me. I told her I wasn't on any birth control and she didn't say she was on any. Yet she encouraged me to, you know, inside her. I know some of you will say, why should I care? It was a one-night stand. I'm not complaining. I'm just looking for answers. The AI says, Ready to post? He says, Sure. He can still see the RL-battered field he walks across as a semi-transparent interior appears before him. His POV remains still in the interior as first a few and then hundreds of avatars fill the space, overlapping each other. One avatar that looks like a cartoon lion wearing a business suit stares at him and then approaches. The lion says, Hey man, that happened to me. A scarecrow walks up to him and says, Did you hear about the baby boom? Both Nabo and the lion shake their heads. Scarecrow says, I work at a hospital and it's flooded with birth mothers right now. At least 70 avatars watch Nabo and gather around him. A zombie nun raises her hand and says, I mean, for the first time in history, having a baby isn't a financial liability. Nabo says, What do you mean? Zombie nun says, You can sign up newborns to be data farmed. It also gets its first free canal link and VR dots that way. The younger it is, the more money its data is worth. She laughs and says, It pretty much pays for itself. Akali, goddess of destruction, says, For the first time in history, babies aren't a financial liability. Lion says, That's great, but does that mean it's okay to steal a dude's sperm? Zombie nun says, Is it stealing, though? Were you planning on doing anything with that sperm? A trans Bugs Bunny pushes forward and says, Usually you hear about fathers ghosting mothers. My biological father ghosted me and my mom. She thinks he left the country just so he wouldn't have to pay child support. Nabo says, I mean, I'll admit, I'm not ready to be a father. But what if I did? Lion says, Is that all femmes want money? Kaylee says, Dude, what's wrong with you? Zombie Nun says, You're getting close to the 25 threshold. Many crowding around say variations on, what's that? Zombie Nun says, that's when a third of femmes want a child more than a man or a partner. Nabo says, but what if I want to be a father and be part of a family? A double-headed man in a spacesuit steps forward and says, why is no one saying this is a win-win situation? He laughs for several seconds as others watch. Simeon and Wilma sit on the couch. Wilma has a cat on her lap. Grace drapes herself over her dad's lap as she air taps with frosted glasses. Cats rest in different spots. One on a shelf, one in front of the flat screen, one on the coffee table, and so on. A half-desert cat sits in an empty giantess box, looking at everyone. Wilma says, They're so calm now that they finished the base. Simeon says, And it only took a week. She says, Around the clock, he says, still, that place is huge. She says, Gracie, what are you doing? Grace says, I'm feeling my way through five dimensions. I'm trying to find the ball so I can win the game. Wilma sighs and says, she's growing up so fast. I want another baby. Simeon stares at nothing, then says, I think we should have one. She says, it's just that she rests her chin in her palm. He says, what? She says, I worry. Grace reaches out a hand and Wilma softly claps it with her hand. Grace laughs and pulls her hand back. Wilma says, when we roll the dice, we get some wild numbers. He says, I know, but gene tampering is outlawed. She says, the embryo screening in Canada is getting better all the time. They reduce the chance of cancer and hundreds of diseases and they can screen out causes of obesity and depression. We can choose tallness. They're better at predicting four, for sociability. He frowns and says, I worry that if our second is so much different than Grace, it might not be good for either of them. She says, We can factor that in when it's time to select. He chews a knuckle and watches Grace. He says, True. The wind blows relentlessly on the day they take the Jeep to Dana's. Sudden gusts blow the vehicle to the road's edge. It breaks near a deep ditch, turns into the wind, and drives back to the center. Wilma grabs Simeon's arm so tight it loses some circulation. Grace screams, jumps off the back seat, and partly climbs toward the front. The car rocks. Dirt and pebbles pelt the hood and windshield. Wilma cries, we should go back. Simeon says, wait, we should park by that abandoned house. He points and says, assistant, park us against that house. Drive in safe mode. Assistant says, okay. The Jeep travels slowly off the road, rolls over tangled grass and pulls up close to the old house that trembles and sways. Grace clings to the back of Wilma's seat. Wilma says, what if the house falls on us? Simeon says, then our time has come. Wilma says, don't say that. Grace says, no, daddy. They wait. Grace whips her head around, whoops and squeals. Forty minutes pass, and the winds seem to lose ferocity. Simeon says, Assistant, is the weather safe to drive in? Assistant says, 20 personal weather stations in this vicinity tell me that the wind speeds have died down and it's now safe to drive. I'm sending local data to NWS Sim, a weather prediction computer, and it predicts conditions will continue to improve for the next few hours. Simeon says, Fine, take us to Dana's. The Jeep dash screen turns on and the front wheels turn left. Assistant says, On our way. Grace sits back in her seat as the Jeep pitches and rolls over the bumpy field. She says, Are we going? Simeon says, Yes, Sunshine. When they drive through the retirement village, Dana starts a group shout out by saying, Hi, folks. I see you're almost here. I don't want to go outside with all this wind. I'm leaving the door open for you. Grace shouts, Hi, Dana. Wilma says, Okay. The car parks and they run through the rock garden. Grace runs ahead and opens the door. They enter. In the living room immediately inside, Dana waves to them from the couch and says, Shut the door, please. The wind pushes back as Simeon shuts the door. He sets Grace's purple backpack next to the coffee table. Because Dana's condo is part of an octagon shaped building, the living room has a noticeable wedge shape. Grace jumps, stands before Dana, and says, I'm staying here tonight. Dana says, She's gotten bigger. Grace says, I'm 11 now. Dana nods. She looks like an aged bodybuilder with firm muscles under wrinkled and patch colored skin. Her clothes are a bit worn out. Her long hair, though hardly ever exposed to chemicals, is dried to stiffness by the Arizona sun and heat. Wilma says, Please check on the cats each day. Grace, show Dana where their food is. Simeon says, We'll call tonight. Does that sound good? Dana says, sounds good. Grace, would you like to help me make lunch? Grace says, I don't like anything green. Simeon says, Grace, we gotta go. Give mom and dad hugs. Simeon and Wilma ride in the back seat on the way to the airport. The winds are gone and the sun cooks the roof. Wilma digs through her carry-on. He says, Are you worried? She says, They're just going to cut me open and take a bunch of eggs out of my ovaries. He gives her a concerned smile and says, The incision will be a tiny circle. A shadow darkens the windows for a moment. Simeon leans over to look out the window and upward. A bus-sized blimp drone flies over and gets ahead of them as it follows the road. He says, That thing is fast. It slows and hovers over the road about half a kilometer ahead. It lowers something on a cable. Her hands stop moving inside her bag. Behind them, a cop car turns on its lights as it speeds forward. Their jeep slows to a stop. Both Wilma and Simeon shift around in their seats. She drops her carry-on and the contents spill out. A loudspeaker voice says, Wilma Knott's and Simeon Knott's slowly step out of the car. Bring nothing with you and keep your hands in the air. Separate from each other. Four bots with wheels instead of legs come toward them from where the blimp drone left them. A second cop car drives up behind the first one. Two cop bots step out of each car. Wilma grabs her husband's arm and says, What do we do? The veins around her eyes pulse and her mouth gapes. He says, We do as they say. He looks confused. Wilma steps out the right side of the Jeep and Simeon steps out the left. The police surround them. Wilma says, Why did you pull us over? Bots step behind both of them and handcuff them. The bot that cuffs Wilma says, We have a record of an attempt to tamper with a birth. Simeon says, We don't have fertilized eggs. He bares his teeth. The bots lead them toward the police cars. One guides Simeon into the back of the first one. The other leads Wilma to the second car. Wilma says, I want to stay with my husband. You can't separate us. The bot leading here says, Wilma Knots, you are under arrest for tampering with a berth. Simeon shouts to her, "Baby, get on law Navigator. If you can pay bail, pay it. Don't worry about the amount, hear me." The door shuts on him. The bot opens the door for Wilma. She ducks in and slides on the hard, flat seat. She feels sick. It feels like a clamp tightens on her chest stopping her from breathing. They shouldn’t have gotten plane tickets to Canada. They should have driven. The two-way plane tickets only give them one day in Canada. Of course, that raised suspicion, and they made a first payment to the hospital. That was a big mistake. How's Grace going to deal with this? And her 25 cats? How can Wilma expect Dana to take care of a child and 25 cats for any longer than three days? Will Simeon lose his job over this? During the first week, Dana takes care of Grace and they visit the cats each day. When Wilma and Simeon call separately, Dana reassures them both. One afternoon, Grace says, aren't we going to check on the cats? As Dana sits on the couch with her glasses frosted over, she says, a little later. By evening, Grace gets hungry. She says, are we having dinner? Dana, who's been in VR with her friends all day, says, you're a big girl, can you make yourself a sandwich? Grace says, we still haven't checked on the cats. Dana says, They're fine. I'm sure they have plenty of food and water. Dana remains tuned into her VR session when Grace steps outside and shuts the door behind her. Hot air envelops her. The sky is a burning orange near the western horizon. Last year she walked with her mom through this retirement village to home every day. Grace remembers the way. The light grows darker as Grace walks toward her house to check on the cat she knows all by name. Kiwi, Boy George, Stamps, Emo, Calico, Pinky Burp, Sunny, Ghost, Jumper, Killer, Treat, Fancy Feet, Coolio, Big Mama, Nosy, Lunar, Mac, Tattletale, Sleepy, TNT, Hobo, Princes, Monster, and Ten Four. She'll have to clean the litter boxes this time. She's watched her mom do it enough to know how to. Maybe it feels kind of scary to be out on the road by herself. She already knows she can't call her mom or dad. They can call, but can't be called. The sky is still blue, but the vacant road is dark. Light fades from the sky and stars come out. Crickets send out static noise. She counts one, two, three blimp drones hanging in the sky. Thank you for listening. Please take the time to rate review, and subscribe so that more future-minded people can find this show. My landing page is in 20XX.com. There, you can find the companion website to this podcast that includes an illustrated timeline and glossary.